You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Here is your host, Jonathan Robinson-Lees. Welcome to the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast, where we chat with local illustrator and designer Shannon Boyd. Shannon's journey has had its challenges and its messages of empathy, hope and positivity that he hopes to convey through his work. It was a leap of faith in recent times that unlocked the world of aerosol art, leading to a number of iconic murals in the local area and all across Sydney. Please enjoy the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Shannon, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Hey mate, how are you going? Thanks for having me on. Shannon, a success for you has been turning art as a passion into a sustainable income and a realistic career. How satisfying has that been for you? Yeah, mate, it's been pretty pretty surreal to be honest um it, it is awesome I'm sitting here now just come back off three weeks holiday which feels a bit strange being have been come from a full-time career where you get your paid holidays and no stress to giving yourself a holiday is pretty sweet but in truth every day and every week kind of doesn't feel like work so i'm very grateful very lucky um and yeah it's been 18 short months and i think yeah 20 or 30 big years ahead so hopefully we can keep it rolling success in the any creative field can be really hard to define and unfortunately it's up to a lot of people's opinion a lot of the time how do you judge your own success as an artist yeah it's a really really good question um i was having this conversation with my mate patty just before christmas i said oh he said, oh, we had our Christmas party together. They invited me along, which was nice, because otherwise it would have just been me sitting at a pub. Um, but we're sitting there and he goes, oh, mate, what a massive year. And I, I kind of went, yeah. And then it sunk in. And I was sitting there thinking, shit, yeah, no, I did. Like 26 murals painted in my first 12 months full time. And that's besides all the other work you're doing and stuff. And I, th- I think, like, I don't know if I'm successful yet, but he, the way he put it, which made me think, yeah, was, oh, I think having a livable income like and you know even more so than my career and what the income was on that packet or that wicket was was good and now I'm actually making a better living off something that I genuinely wake up itching to get into and all the other things that noticeably come and make your life a lot better through it so I think that was when I first realized well yeah this is a bit of a success but Let's be really sick, get back and set more goals going forward. But, um, yeah, I've got to be proud and really focus on the positive because, yeah, it's, it's pretty rewarding to be able to be in that position. And you said 26 murals in a, in a calendar year. Was that the target or did it just evolve as you went? No, I don't think I had targets. Like, I, I, count, I might have cheated. Like, it was 26 surfaces and 26 individual murals painted, but it might have only been, like, you know, 17 or 16 clients. So, so like, I might have, might have made it sound a bit more grandiose. But, no, I think there's no target, really. I think if I was 
getting through the year, which I, which I thought was going to happen with COVID, because that was a scary first couple of months there. Um, if I was kind of scratching and crawling um, to try and get work, then I would just have to say, okay, it's quiet, it's dead, it's not working at the moment. Let's go jump back into the classroom or behind a bar, but keep the creative things flowing because it's comes and goes in phases very fast. A lot of some of my biggest influences and amazing artists that I've been fortunate to meet last year actually talked to me about how quiet their year was in terms of art productivity, murals because of COVID and things. And I was kind of saying, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I get that. But I couldn't relate. You, you can't say much to those people because they've been in the industry for seven, eight years defining, um, you know, murals, street art, um, kind of the art culture in Australia, which is one day a dream of mine to be embedded in. But at the same time, um, applying my trade, working on the technical things, getting the opportunities with clients to, you know, try something different or paint something different and just get better technically with different mediums. Um, that was a big su- success alone and, yeah, really rewarding 12 months. You said you had a few influences there, people who you've kept an eye on, you've got to meet. Yep. How much of an open mind do you keep when you're speaking to those people? Are you a sponge just looking to absorb as much as you can? I am, yeah. I, can, I think sometimes too I can be a massive dickhead because I get so excited but I get nervous like, and real nervous anxiety too. Like, oh, shit, do I go and talk to them? No, I don't want to talk to them. I'll stand over and be weird or I'll go and say too much and be too much in their face and then... It can go either way, but most people are really accepting and, like, they've been in that boat before. You know, an artist mate of mine, Dan, I met last year in Mountains Boy, amazing, like, one of the best artists at the moment, I, I believe. And I said to him, man, one day I was just like, man, sorry, I'm a bit all over the place. He goes, mate, we've all been there. He goes, just all good. And um, he's such a great guy and something I learned a lot from. But, yeah, it is weird and it's... um. Yeah, like I said, it's it's surreal, but um, there's a long way to go because you never know what can change week to week, month to month. And Shannon, you grew up in Jamison Town in the in the Penrith area. What was your childhood like? Pretty normal, sheltered, which we touched on before. But um, yeah, very normal. I, I had the the soccer field, cricket pitch, news agency I worked in, school and house, all within a you know 1.5 kilometer radius. So, which is kind of how I liked it because South Penrith was, you know, didn't look, didn't get the bad rep that Penrith does. But no, it was, it was pretty good. We lived up the road from um, the canals and threw away to Glenmore Park and we just, we got up to all sorts of trouble um, as kids. But it was good fun and sport was never too far away. And um, I don't think back then art was ever, you know, on the agenda for making it, you know, a a lifestyle or a career but yeah if I wasn't outside playing soccer or cricket I was inside redrawing comic panels um dad loved his cricket golf soccer footy back then um two older brothers highly competitive much older than me so I didn't get much of a look in but um yeah just a normal upbringing really do you look back fondly on those times that opportunity to explore the adventure no doubt the resilience that you built over those years, do you look back fondly on those times? Yeah, I think more so now that you're older. Like when you're going through it, you just, you know, typically you don't, you don't know what you're enjoying. You go inside at night and you, you're tired or you, you had fun playing with your brothers. That's what it is. But you just want 
to do anything to be around them. You know, you'd bite at their heels or whatever, but then 10 years later you're going, God, they're assholes. Like, you know, but, but, it, was, but it was good. And, and I think that competitive drive to never let them see you beaten or, you know, just try to keep up with them as, as much older as they were or whatever. And mum was always the over-caring, nurturing, bringing you in with an arm one. Dad was very much the not many words, nah, come on, get up. Typical cricket scorer. Sit, he'd love to just sit there scoring cricket for four hours because he didn't have to talk to anyone kind of thing. But when he did speak, you, you shut up and listen pretty quick. So, um, And I've never seen him move as fast as when he got the wooden spoon out to my brothers or I. So it, it could be, um, it was a very loving house, but um, yeah, quick quick to fire as well. So, and What role did school have on on your creative endeavors not not much to be honest school like uni yes and younger years maybe but um high school wasn't great for art and um I think and I've met so many people who have had it one way or the other no real in between so as being a former teacher myself I think it's very true that you're so lucky with the teacher you get. If you have a great teacher come along that just loves what you're doing, love what they're doing, they want to be there every day. So in year 11 and 12, I didn't really have that in terms of an art teacher or educator. You know, Art Express was never really pushed or talked about in our school, um, which looking back, wish it was, or St Mary's Senior High might have been a good option at the time. But, you know, hindsight, you can't go back and change things. But... Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't have the greatest teacher year, 11, 12. I remember he once... I I developed a bit of an attitude by year. I was always a pretty quiet, friendly, happy-go-lucky kid until about year 10 or 11. Then I became a bit of a smart-ass. And he was just... He used to love pushing your buttons, this teacher. And he he said to me one day, he goes, Oh, another face. You only ever draw faces. You'll only ever draw faces. And I said, "You'll, You'll only ever be an art teacher. And I shouldn't have said it, and I regret saying it because of where I've been and where I'm at now. But looking back, I kind of think, well, that always stayed with me a bit and it actually did push me to just think, yeah, I used to draw a lot of faces and eyes and things, let's branch out a bit. But now it's pretty funny because that's what I'm essentially get asked to do a lot of um, and it's what I pride myself in. Did you, did you take that personally? You know, being told, you know, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? The same thing again. No, not really, because, like, he was like that with everyone, and I think that's why I said something, because he, he'd come in and he'd, he'd have a different kid every day, to, you know. And some of us he didn't bother saying things to, but then this one day he said that, and I just... I did it more for others than myself. I got a nice little clap, and before he needed to tell me to get out, I'd already gotten out. I never used to leave classes, but the rest of the year I worked outside on my own. Never went in there. Never, you know, he'd mark my name off, and I worked with another teacher a lot um, and did what I needed to do. But, yeah, it wasn't until uni, but even not really in uni, I, I probably shouldn't have delved into that creative side as much as I could have, but everything happens for where you need to get to so did you have a desire to embrace I guess the theory side of art we we talked talked about the history that side of it as well yeah no so the theory side um I did pretty well with I really didn't have any real care for the theory side of art because back in year 11 12 it was kind of like looking at oil paintings from the 1800s and 
or abstract work and I feel like I actually learned how to talk shit really well in year 12 art but I did well enough and got a really good grade and I think it was yeah probably despite everything happening with the practical and that teacher but um, I think I've definitely become more of a student of art now and with social media and everything you're so spoiled for great artists it's no longer going and looking back like 70, 80 years as an artist. Yes, they were the pioneers and it was great. But now you're looking to just, I think art in the last, even from the last five to 10 years, contemporary, where it's going now and becoming a real trend with everything visual, it's just going to get better and better and we're spoiled. In your early years, you first started, you first recall starting art in your kindergarten years, designing, illustrating, painting, what did it feel like to you as a kid? You said, you know, you come in and you trace the comic books. What, what was the feeling that you experienced? Kind of as a kid, you just wanted to be, you wanted to be in those comic panels. You, you wanted to be Batman or Deadpool or the X-Men in the 90s. I think everybody did. But I think it was just the colours and just how cool it looked. And I just simply tried to, you know, I started off tracing them, like paper over comic when I was young and... I don't, I don't think I've traced since maybe 10 now, but yeah, just wanting to be in those comics and think that I was the one creating those comics. And I've still got so many of those editions from back then and you open them up now and it's a weird feeling, but it's really cool because um, I, a lot of people that might start drawing later, they might not have those really cool little personal connections, but comics are just such a great um, source for a lot of kids, but you don't realise how adult and deep they are and even the artworks now like some comic art now is freaking unbelievable like you'll open it up and it's like you've got the whole comic book of Archibald prize winners in there like it, it actually is incredible so um I read one the other way it was an Avengers comic and it was like done by an oil painter the whole thing through and I was like this is nuts where it's going but um yeah it was just simply just wanting to draw I just love it sounds weird but any artist gets this that feeling of a chiseled pencil or a chiseled pen going on paper if you don't get it you never will that's all i'm gonna say it's it, it, there's nothing like it does it flick a switch inside of you when that moment happens do you kind of go into flow or get the energy from it i think it comes before i think yeah i think that's that might be the switch but you've kind of been charging the batteries up for a while you know this week i took there was a, f- a bit of a delay on a project and then i took a couple of extra day holiday so I could feel like three weeks for me is way too long. I was drawing down the coast because it was raining every bloody day. So I was sketching most days and just trying to switch off. And it was great because you hardly had reception. So you weren't doing that. Beautiful rain down the coast and you're reading a book and then you you start to draw and then you you start thinking, oh, I wonder if so-and-so is back painting yet. And I wonder if blah, blah, blah. And then you start to feel a bit guilty. And then you, you, you look at so many like unbelievable artworks if you get caught into going on social too much um, which is a bad trap to fall in but you start to just get that creative buzz and I think it's important to have those breaks because it's like any type of creative output you can hit blocks you can go through creative blocks in any field any job you can go you can have a block one day you can just be like no not feeling it I don't want to be here I just and everyone has them and you've got to either push through or accept it. And because creativity is one of those things, you can't force it. But when it's on, it's unreal. And there's, there's been days where I can draw for 
12 or 13 hours uninterrupted. Like, not so many these days because, you know, there's other things in life now, but there are still days where if I'm painting a mural, you know, you might get there at 7. You're finishing at 7. You might have had a quick 20-minute break or put your sunscreen on, but once you're in that zone and you love what's happening and you step back and you look up at it, that's the probably the moment where you go, shit, I made that or I drew that or whatever and you're never happy no one's ever happy like I don't I think there's maybe two artworks I've done in the last 12 months where I've actually looked back and gone I'm super proud of that I can say that's finished but I don't think many artworks are ever fully finished but um are you naturally critical of yourself oh yeah yeah big time yeah it's been in place since I was a kid I reckon I think it's both a big pro and con for me um it, it affects me personally in a lot of ways but professionally it probably makes me a bit better because I'm a perfectionist. I left a lot of artworks up last year where, you know, deadlines or things, and I sit there and I think, fuck, if I could have two more days on that or another five hours on that or go and change that. Um, the first time I ever painted the Bondi wall, actually, it was funny. It was a... Um, I'd just started out on aerosols and I had no idea what I was doing. And, yeah, I think I was 11 hours in. My friends had come in. Kate was there, her brother my friend Pat and his partner at the time, and we're wanting to wrap up to go to dinner, and I'm, I'm pack up the cans, and I get three back out, and I'm like, no, I just want to fix this, fix this, fix this. Two hours later, Kate comes up and goes, babe, we're going to go back up to the house and get ready, and I was like, okay, it's time, and I think it was from about, yeah, from probably 6.30, 7am to 8pm, and had a quick 20-minute fish and chip job, but um, yeah, once, once you're in it, you just don't, don't want to leave it. So if you drive past one of your pieces of art in Penrith today... Hate them. Hate them. Really? Yeah. There's you, two. I, there's three that, I like. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, like the PCYC ones when I started. Like, I, I, I don't mind Jess Fox's one. She's okay. Like, she's, you know, she deserves better. Um, Jess, if you're listening, you deserve better than that one. We'll fix it. But Nathan's like... His one I look at all the time like, no. Nah. When I do lawn bowls, I look at it and I'm like, one of my mates will take the piss and go, oh, and I just turn around and just shut up. But surely the feedback you're getting everywhere is it's unbelievable. Yeah, it has been um, quite weird because, like I said, like I I suppose in Penrith, it, it's, it's nice. It's a local knit community. So, yeah, it's nice to have people. I've had people come online who I've never met introduce themselves I had a guy that loves painting last year come up and introduce himself told me he loves what I'm doing he's friends with friends of mine he loves painting as well I looked at his work he's amazing like you know puts me to shame but we end up working on a couple of pieces together and he's one of my best mates now and um great guy Kev and um those things are weird but then even the New Year's down the caravan walking past the caravan and one of my friends was down there and said happy new year and starts chatting introduces Kate and I to his mates and one of his mates Joel turned around and goes Shannon he goes Boyd you do like art and graffiti stuff eh and I just hear Kate's breath next to me she just goes oh for fuck's sake sorry but that's what word for word she goes for fuck's sake and I just like I smirked because I thought well like again it's just it's Penrith it's a very Penrith thing to do but just because I knew of her reaction, what it would be. And the next day, she didn't let up. We'd just be walking down to play putt-putt. Play, and be like, oh, so Shannon Boyd's coming to play putt-putt. 
blah, 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 blah. and I've done work down there as well at, at the park and things like that. So that was funny and it's it's weird, but it, it is nice. And I think most rewarding is that I've I don't know if I can claim this, so I won't. But I definitely have seen people that I know last year locally who you know they they post a couple of sketches with pen here and there. But I've seen a lot more local creatives painting, starting murals, becoming you know, becoming an artist on the side to their real jobs. And whether or not that's got anything to do with this, which I'm sure it doesn't, but for me that is really rewarding because we need more creatives and artists stepping up in the local area because I think people see Penrith as a bit of a creative graveyard at times. So I think if we can see more of that happening, that would be fantastic. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Shannon, you attended Western Sydney University, did a Bachelor of Design Studies in Visual Communication. What were your key learnings out of that course? I don't think anything too curricular at the time. <laughs> Things I, I was a very late bloomer, so I started uni when I was really learning about the world. Um, so there was a lot of, a lot of things on there I'd never been exposed to. But um, design-wise, I think just an appreciation for how things could look really, really sick. Like, that's how I sometimes simplify it. I don't think it has to always have a thousand different theories or beliefs or hidden inspiration quotes and a message in there. I think if you can look at something, be engaged with it, stand there for five minutes, walk away going, I won't forget how cool that looked. That's what I took out of uni because I met so many talented designers, illustrators and photographers. I actually did way more photography during those three years than I did of art and I still do photography now as a hobby. Um, I've thought about bringing that into my sort of either portfolio or just again as a hobby and sharing more of it because art necessarily isn't just a hobby now. So I took a lot out of that. Friendships is a big one I took out of there. But um, yeah, I'd say the visual style... Visual communication, I think, was such an underrated degree because everything now is visual communication. Not many things are not communicated visually anymore. So I think friends of mine and I that get it and see it, we see things in messages that necessarily people won't see. It happens with Kate and I all the time. I'll say, oh, that's quite clever. She'll be like, what? What are you looking at? And I'll point it out. She goes, huh? Oh, I get it now, five minutes later. So things like that and just, um, yeah, it's, it's a very very niche market but I think it's just it's growing you know hugely and it's going to be so important moving forward. In those university years did you have like a set career ambitions did you know where you wanted to go next? Yeah when I was doing graphic design I still knew that I wanted to go and be a teacher which was weird because like looking back now I'd think why'd you do that for like there were days we'd have open days where they'd set huge canvases up for free paintbrushes paints aerosol cans back then which I didn't know like I didn't think that I'd ever be I don't just use them don't get me wrong but they're you know a medium I'm quite comfortable with now but back then mates would 
you know, egg me on because they, they never, people at uni never actually saw my art much. I didn't really draw and share it. Like, I handed my assignments into the tutor for drawing, but didn't really attend many of her classes because, again, she was Professor Umbridge from Harry Potter. She was very much like her. And I never used to do eight weeks of sketching, building. To a, if I was doing an artwork, I'd do the processes, but I'd do it in a day or two. Like, it's only lately that I'm appreciating spending months on a painting. But back then, yeah, um, just wasn't having a bar of it. And, um, yeah, I never touched on that. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go into teaching. I'm, I still want to be a teacher, which was from a young age. And how funny it is looking back. And where did your teaching take you? What, what kind of role did you take on in that space? So I went on to do my Master's of Teaching at Bankstown, um, which was two years on top. And then got out and... Got an office straight out of uni through a friend to take a year two class for the remaining six months of the school year at Wayland Public School in Mount Druitt. <laughs> I'll never forget saying to Dad and Kate, all right, rough area, rough school, but year two. How hard can that be? Year two. They're too young. They're not going to, you know, no discipline stuff. They're just year two. They're, you know, young male, you hear all these rumours. First day I walked in there, holy shit, like... The worst behaved class in the school, they tell me on my first day. Lovely teacher who they loved, a woman, like who, it's funny because you talk about males and the, you know, males are so needed and stuff, but males can't and never will be able to, rightly so. No male teacher can show affection the way a woman teacher is able to. And because she was pregnant as well and all that, and there's excitement, who's this young guy with a receding creepy hairline? <laughs> coming in to, you know, take over the, this class. And um, the first day, feeling really good. Kids would not jump down off their desks, jumping around, screaming, throwing things. We don't have to fucking listen to you. You too. And I've just like, I, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I ended up laughing and just got through the day. I'm ringing the principal's office or my supervisor's number everybody. 15 minutes, kids are leaving left, right and centre. By the end of the day, I was that tired, more tired than I've ever been. And welcome to teaching, they don't tell you about this. And the teachers come up and go, oh, what a great job you did today. And I'm like, are you kidding? They're like, no, you survived. Because a lot of teachers, I found out later, a lot of teachers don't last a day in those places or they don't come back. So I stuck it out, didn't think I'd get off at anything the next year because it was horrible. But I was there for five years, I ended up working with one of the toughest behavioural um, special needs units in the school for four years. It was extremely rewarding um, and then did some other roles in the school and then, um, yeah, my time was up. Do you ever think what might have happened if you'd walked out after one day and said, I'm not coming back? Yeah, I think so. I think I would have become these, these sugar-coated teachers that, you know, they've only ever seen the lovely schools and they don't know what's out there. And I saw that after when I went to other schools and behaviour was never an issue for me. And what I learned and took out of that, though, like the empathy and the gratefulness you get out of working with those kids. I mean, I'd bore my eyes out sitting here thinking about some of the ways those kids would come to class. And you get one... It's like you're just resetting them every day. It's like turning your PS4 off at night, letting it cool down, then turning it back on the next day and it you know, heats up over time. Because once those kids are back home, you've lost them. They're reprogrammed, they're back in their ways, they're coming back 
angry, pissed off with the world, hungry, like wanting food like you've never seen. And, and it is hard and it takes, it takes its toll. And every little, you've got to take every little victory in those rooms because it's a big win. And I think within, I wasn't the world's greatest teacher, I can admit that now, like curricular based and, you know, the knowledge of and teaching strategies, I wasn't the greatest. But behaviorally and relationship building with those kids, I, we took them from kids that would fight all day, removed from class, screaming, crying, smashing windows, throwing chairs, to being able to coexist in a room peacefully. That was the biggest thing I took out of it. But it was also just seeing these kids, like, you know, come to school happy and getting happier each day. And when it was crap outside, they came to school because they knew that it was their place they could kind of... So that was rewarding. Like, that was amazing. And that's what I miss. Like, I don't miss all the red tape and politics of teaching, but I, I do miss kids, and I don't think I'll ever stop working with kids. Like, it's been a couple of years, but that doesn't mean that that, that avenue or door's been closed. So The fact that you're literally changing these kids' lives, you know, every day is so how you, you're making them better people through the position that you've got. Do you, do you then think that maybe the school system is too structured, that maybe we aren't enabling enough freedom, or does it, is every school so different? Yeah, I don't think I'm going to another, throw another egg in that basket because I think, like, like, I, like, I don't know if I was making them better people. I, I know what you're getting at. I think we're making them feel safer and happier, which is the big thing. Like, where they're going to be is on them, and I think high school is a much more important role than anyone can see or know. I think that, yes, we have all these different theories. Yes, we have all these open classroom ideas and unstructured rooms, but every... It's like coaching in sport. You're essentially you're man managing more than you t- like teaching these days. The curriculum's overstuffed, overpacked. They were talking about a national teaching curriculum back when I was in uni. And I still haven't seen it. So I think there's gaps to be um, filled. Where I think out of the last poll of 44 countries, we were 41st. So that answers a lot of questions, I think. But um, I can't say do this, do that, because like I just said, I wasn't fantastic. But there, there are reasons why a lot of teachers like myself do become kind of dissuaded from it. Like I've got so many teacher friends out there that are amazing. They're, they're just doing incredible things. They're working, you know, 15, 16, 17-hour days without pay. They do need to do that, essentially. To, to be the teacher that you need to be at the moment, you need to do those hours and it's going to be debated for the next 50 years, I think. So I'm definitely not touching on that, but yeah, there's things they could do better and there's things we could definitely be doing worse. The five years as a teacher, what role was art playing outside of your day-to-day work? Uh, Very little. So I think, what was it, from 2013 to, yeah, pretty much as soon as I started teaching out of uni, Till about, which was 2013, for maybe the first three years, I never really drew. Stopped drawing completely. Like, wouldn't it? I'd sketch all the time, though, in my meeting folder, like my communication book, which I always did. Like, at uni, I've got friends now that see me and still mention that. At uni. Oh, you never listen in unis, you're always drawing. And then I'd be able to tell them something, and they'd be like, shit. But, um, 
even in meetings at school, you'd know if I was listening because I'd, I'd always find myself drawing an eye. I still do it. Like, I'll draw an eye. That means I'm listening. If I'm drawing something else, I'm not listening. I don't know why, but it's just true. But no, I was, so I, did, I didn't draw much at home. And then when work started becoming heavy because those groups of kids and classes, they do start to take your, your mental toll. And you, you go into the gym in the afternoon. I lost a lot of weight. Um, you know, some school days you don't eat. It's just the nature of it. People that say, oh, bullshit, they don't know what they're talking about. There's just days where you don't eat. So you'd, I'd come home and I wouldn't draw. And then it got so heavy in my third... No, it was my fourth year at Wayland. It got so heavy at the start of the year with a few different things that I started having panic attacks like pretty badly. And I didn't know what they were. I just I thought something was wrong with me. But it, it happened for a couple of weeks. It never happened at school. But then it happened one morning before school in the bathroom. We were living at Kate's place because um, we were saving to build this block of land that we're sitting on talking now. Yeah, I killed over and I, I didn't realise that for the last few weeks I was only sleeping bare minimum because of the expectations. A new supervisor, she'd be up late because of kids, so we'd be emailing, we'd be wanting, they'd be wanting to have meetings every morning before class, every afternoon before, after class. I had a hole in my ceiling with exposed wires with, for four weeks, nothing being done about it. Um, an autistic child in my mainstream year four class, which wasn't a problem for me, but with all those things changing and routine, it's hard to do. School wasn't supporting me with giving me another room. Wouldn't even block off the area, so I'd have to personally get in there and make sure the kids were walking through. Moving the kids around every single hour to a classroom, I had looked up and organised that was empty. And all these things. And then this morning it happened. And it had happened a few weeks before when we were out having a drink in the city. And Kate just looked at me, and she and I'll never forget, she just said, is this what you want to be doing every day? And is this how you want to be feeling every day? And I just couldn't speak, and I was just like, I don't know. And she goes, take a day. And, um, yeah, three days later I went in and resigned, which was one of the hardest things I've ever done because of the kids. Um, but it was a, but it was looking back to and realizing it was a toxic place. Um, twelve teachers after me within the next twelve months had left that school, and then that same. But it was about yeah, it was, it was probably a few months before that that Kate had said start drawing again, and I worked on a drawing. And yeah, it was, I think it was about six months before that I did my first drawing in four years, and it was it was one of still one of my best drawings I've ever done. All of little dots, so stipple. So stippling is actually the biggest thing I took out of uni, going back to that question, fourth wall here inside of fourth wall, <laughs> is that one of my main styles now, most request styles, is drawings made up of little dots, which takes me hours and hours. But that's one style I learnt from Dolores Professor Umbridge at uni, which was, thank you, Dolores. So that that's really cool. And then, yeah, she, Kate again was the one that said, start drawing again because you need it. You know, it's good for you to do. And I used to just come home, spend a couple of hours here and there. It's good. Put some music on. Go back the next day, teach. But, um, yeah, when I associated my contract and took a couple of months just to address some issues that were there, that's when I started really going, right, if I'm going back to teaching, I'm only going to be doing casually or three or four days a week and I'm going to start drawing every single day. And it just started from there and it snowballed started teaching four days a week. The next semester or half a semester later, I'm teaching three days a week. 
I started getting people asking me to draw. Met one of my biggest graffiti or just artist idols ever in Penrith. He'd come out here to paint High Street Depot, Mr G, New Zealand artist. I got it, walked over to him and said, Mr G, I said, my name's Shannon Boyd, blah, blah, local artist, um, did design at uni, rah, rah. Do you mind taking a look at my work? Looked at some of the drawings I'd put up in that last six months. Oh, bro, these are good, eh? These are fucking good. He goes, do you spray? I was like, spray? And he goes, like, graffiti. I said, no, I don't write. And he goes, no, I'm not writing. He goes, you know, like portraits. And he goes, that's, he goes I, that's how I do it. And he uses brushes as well. And I was just, fly- he, he spent five minutes to talk to me, looked at my work. And that, I, pe- I walked out of that Eckersley store, which I know better now. I don't get Eckersley's for that shit. But um, I walked out of there with six cans, just different, you know, primary colours and a black and white. And I think it was a... I don't know, green or orange or something, secondary colour or something. I came home, I started spraying. Kate's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And she's like, all right. And then I just like, oh yeah, I started walking around Penrith asking for walls and that's how the PCYC came about. And I ended up knowing one of the girls that worked there and she, um, I said, look, I just want to practice. I said, this wall outside has been here for 20 odd years. I said, it's faded, it's getting written over. And like graffiti artists, I love graffiti art. I love proper graph art but I do not respect those little shitty tags that kids come and territorialize and all that and put their little work up there because they're mad lads that's not art so I don't care I'm never going to get sick of painting over them but that wall was very iconic in the community so I didn't realize that until after I'd painted over it <laughs> but that's just when it all started and um yeah, from there it just grew and I started getting, I ended up getting commissioned because I did that outside wall for free, pro bono for the community. And I ended up getting commissioned to paint the whole inside of the PCYC and then two more PCYC centres after that. And then I got enough clients in 20, halfway through 2019, I was able to make the call to teach casually without being committed to any timetable or school, just take the few clients I had and I have taught three casual days since August 2019 it's inspiring stuff Shannon the self the self-confidence but not but yet humbleness to firstly go speak to Mr G but then also go to all the local businesses Three years earlier, so do you think you would have had that confidence to, to go up and just approach them and, and to effectively put yourself out there to be critiqued and to be criticised? Well, shit, I don't even know if I've got that confidence now, but I think I was lucky back then. Like, I appreciate those words, but I think I was a bit lucky too because if it was anywhere else, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Like, everyone who knows me, and it's not like, you know, that, like, Penrith type footy culture I love, which I do love because I love the Panthers and I love love this town but I, I do love Penrith because it's home and I'll never forget when I painted Mick Fanning's portrait on that same wall Mick Fanning was born in Colloden I think I got that right it was definitely Penrith or St Mary's he lived here till he was 11 with his and then his mum moved him away but he still has on his bio that he's a Panthers fan he still has born in Penrith on his bio and I just think that's so cool because you know there's so many people that start out out here and I can understand where they see the you know no through road sign in their life and they 
and they kind of think, shit, okay, I either need to get out of here, try something new, or it's not working here, or I totally get that. But home is home. And I had a lot of friends working at a lot of the places which made me feel a bit more comfortable to go out. Plus, I'd worked in the hospitality scene for seven years, so I knew a few of the managers. But I think maybe I was a little bit overconfident and arrogant at the time too. I think the chips on the shoulder kind of thought, you know, took me back to those uni days where I'd walk past the canvas and that opportunity. And now it was like, shit, I'm making up for lost time now. I really need to, you know, if I'm going to do this, I need to, you know, show some works quite quickly and hopefully some people start noticing. And social media was probably the scariest thing at the time for me to use because being a bloke that can paint and draw, you know, and putting it on your socials, I think that's a more vulnerable place to be in the first couple of times. Whereas going up and saying, oh, you know, hey, mate, nice wall. This is some of my stuff. Don't have to pay anything. Can I do this? That's easy. He's only going to say no. But putting your putting your work and a bit of yourself out there and a caption, and fuck, some of the captions you read, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you go back and... You get those memories come up every on your Facebook. Oh, you post this seven years ago and you read back the caption you think, far out, like, bloody hell. Should have been writing lyrics for, like, five days of summer or something. But it's just, it's lame. But it's, I think, yeah, just sharing that was the scariest part. And even now I feel uncomfortable about it. But I think it's more of a responsibility for me now to write something that might communicate to even five people that will see it. And letting them know that, oh, that's okay. Like, this represents this. I understand and see those things. So if you do, that's okay, if that makes sense. So that's scarier than approaching those people back then and getting started for me. Is that your motivation, that you can put things out there that's, there's going to be a market that, ab- that absolutely resonates with? They're going to be inspired by what you do and what you say yet there's still going to be people who want to pull your work apart. Do you you block them out or do you just focus your energy on the people who care? Well, I think it's pretty lucky because I don't think there's too much of my work to pull apart yet. I think I haven't started. It sounds cliche, but I haven't... I'm nowhere near close to starting what what I believe will be the beginning of having that happen, and I think that's this year for me. So I think I don't like setting time constraint goals I'm not a believer in that because I think things have to happen organically and if you place a constraint on a goal you are putting pressure on yourself you're going to rush things you're going to overthink it you're going to just go nuts off your own expectations and limits so for me it's year goals so I might say okay this year I want to paint a surface this size which would be sick last year I want to paint the highest thing I've done it wasn't, well, I was, but it wasn't tall, as tall as I wanted, but it was tall enough because I was shitting myself up there and it feels a lot taller. But I was on a boom lift, I got to do my boom lift course and that was another little goal, like a bucket list. So, and I think bucket lists are a less um, pressured way of calling your goals. I like bucket lists more. So for me, yeah, I think, like I said, the first 18 months it was this people saying to me, can you paint this guy on my, at our school? Can you paint this at our school? And you're just saying, yep. Yep, yep, yep. And you make the mistake of doing it. But then six months in, you kind of go, you're halfway through a project, you're like, yeah, why'd I do this? Because I don't really like painting this. I don't really paint these things. I'm just doing it because 
it's it's a so you can get trapped and i don't think you should just think of this as a job you got a responsibility that you've got to stay true to yourself um and this all sounds wise but i've literally only learned this in the last five months so it's all new to me and i'm coming off a three-week break feeling really mentally charged right now so you're getting me at my best time if you got me before christmas i think i would have been falling asleep on this microphone but I think it's, yeah, it's, it's so important to do what you want to do, but having a recognisable style, which I've found, and I'm going to pour that into everything now, like my drawings, my stipple work, private commissions, murals, like you'll be able to look at them all and go, that's Shannon Boyd's work. And then I, will, I do want my work to be more meaningful. I don't want to be painting celebrities every week. I'd love to have, you know... Uh, portraits that i've just made out of my own head which i've sketched and then i've turned into a mural you know a mate of mine or you know my mate's dog my mate's grandma just everyday people that have a cool story i want to meet those people sketch them ask them permission to ever possibly be in a mural and that's where i'd like to take it with all the other elements that come into it and then people can pick it apart if they want i think on one hand, I'll say, cool, being spoken about, so people are dissecting my art. That's pretty cool. On the second side, as easy as it is for me to say, it's another thing for me to do, is to then say, oh, well, I don't really give a shit what they say. That's the hardest part. But art is art. I mean, if there's paintings that, like hanging up in the archerboard at the moment that are just so amazing, and then another year you might get one and you think technically skill wise I don't see that but yes there might be 17 layers of paint on the thing and then those layers represent the hidden layers of their soul I don't know but all I know is I'm looking at it thinking oh it looks like a little peanut in the middle of the, in the middle of the canvas so like as long as it's being spoken about I guess is a win but you do have to block the negative I've had that happen last year um, and it did take me it took too much energy away from me to be honest so um, we'll see what happens but at the moment I just love the road I'm on and we'll see where it goes that career transition we spoke with Brendan Davies on the Passion and Perspective podcast the ultra trail runner and he was very similar he was the teacher I took his I took over Brendan's class at Whalen there you go yeah well <laughs> you yeah. Brendan, some... Brendan resigned because similar thing yeah. I still message Brennan once every six months to a year if I see him pop up on the socials because, again, we came from the exact same place. A very, very similar path in terms of five days, four days, three days, two days, so you could both pursue your passion, which is amazing now that we're talking about it. What advice would you have for someone out there? For Brendan? No, not for Brendan. (laughs) (laughs) For, For someone out there who is in a job, doesn't just have to be teaching, any job, but they have... Something on the side that's their true passion, but maybe yet they haven't monetized it. Maybe yet they haven't found the time to explore it. What advice would you pass on to them when they want to make that transition across? It's nice, man. I've never been asked that, so it's a bit, it's a bit weird in itself. But um, I'd say don't make it a goal. Like I'd say don't prioritize it over what you're doing at that time in terms of. Like if you've got, if you're teaching, you've still got to make sure that those days you're teaching and when you're coming home, it's kind of like coming home from school, getting your homework done straight away so you can go and kick the ball out the back. Keep doing that, working hard, getting it done when you get home, 
So you free up the time where you can spend that relaxed time with that love doing that. Start small. Start posting things. Yeah, set up a social media account. That's great. Start telling your friends that you're doing that. But don't ever put the pressure on yourself to say, in 12 months this will be my full-time job. Because I didn't do that. I just, I still, I've only just started seeing myself as a illustrator and designer more than a teacher. It's only been the last eight months where I've started saying, no, I miss. I still see family at Christmas. And how's your teaching going? And are you doing much art? Uh, yeah, honey, Jen. I've uh, been a full-time artist for 18, or close to 18 months now. Um, I've, I taught once on the first day last year. Oh, really? Oh, that's great, love. That's great. Six months later. Oh, how's teaching going? So, so it took me a while to, like, even my mum still did, does it the other week. God. How's your art going? My job? Yes, it's going really well. Thanks, Mum. But no, I think just don't don't put those pressures on yourself. Keep it as a hobby until it's time where you can look at yourself and go, okay. But make sure you've always got a fallback. Because I'm so grateful that I listened to my parents that said to me, go to uni or TAFE. We don't care what you do. Just get yourself something where you've got a fallback. Because if you have a plan without a plan B and it doesn't work, you don't want to be caught in that environment or job that, yeah, it pays the bills, but you don't want to be at because you've got to love what you're doing. Like, I've seen it. Like, it's not cliche when people say it to you. I've, I've lived it. I've, it's a shit feeling. Like, motivating yourself just to get in the car sucks. And that's why, like, I say now, like, I love kids, but I would never jump back in a classroom. I'd probably jump back pouring beers before I jump in the classroom. And it's not because of the kids. It's just because everything else. Like, schools aren't fun. Like, they can be fun. They're, certain schools are great. Surveyors Creek was amazing. I finished up just as a casual there, and, God, I let them down with some casual days I called up because I was, you know, I had so much going on in 2019, you know, with things with the family and everything else. But then some days I just would be like, I hate this now. Like, I've got this painting I can do. Let's do that. So just, yeah, just stick at it. You know, build it, build it, but have a backup, but make sure that you've always got enough to fall flat on before you jump. Don't just go out there and then you've left yourself nothing to turn around with. Um, You don't burn bridges, I guess. So that's my only advice. But everyone's got to have something. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. your artwork Shannon what emotions are you trying to elicit from the audience from the viewers when someone walks past one of your amazing pieces down the street what do you want them to feel um it's another good question because I think I've only done a few I think that the emotional side and that message side of art is only where I've started kind of getting good at you know putting into my work 
like I said before, like if you get asked to just paint Michael Jordan, I mean, there's things that, you know, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, you know what that represents. So I think moving forward and I really want to start relaying messages of positivity and, you know, empathy, gratefulness, the things that I've started really trying to bring into my life and practice outwards. I'd really like those messages to come through. So positivity. I do want to hit some messages that people need to hear. I'm, I'm, I am big on mental health, especially men, because it's, you know, what it's like. It's still very stigmatised and we love talking about it, but we don't love talking about it. Um, we'd rather scull a beer on Facebook and do 20 push-ups to show our appreciation for that kind of thing. So I would like to send some things that people stand back and go, oh, okay. Um, because I do, like I said, I feel like that's a responsibility of mine now and I feel like without sounding arrogant, probably does sound arrogant, but skillfully and technically, I think that my work has come a long way in a short time. It's going to keep developing because I'm going to paint till I die. But I think now is where, as an artist and a creative, you do need to start connecting more with the audience and sending those messages, and especially now with how the last two years has been for everybody. So, yeah, I think those messages of hope and positivity any chance I can locally to have that community connection, which is a recent one I painted um, for a street art festival through council. And and also, like I said, work that just makes people stop and go, that looks sick. Do you see your two worlds colliding? The, do you see a space where your design and illustration and perhaps troubled youth can come together and, and be a vehicle for personal development for positive mental health? Yeah, I think I think there's an avenue there. I think art in schools isn't necessarily done well. I like what I've seen, and I don't. I'm not the expert on where to start it. And I'd make suggestions, but I used to love as a teacher turn up for a casual day. We've done no art this term. Can you just teach art all day? I don't care. Just put music on. Let them do art all day. I don't care if it's YouTube. I'm like, well, if we're doing art, we're doing art, and I'd like I'd go like full on like I'd set up an art, an art studio for the day and the kids loved it we'd have music or quirky YouTube videos like, and then I never let on that I could do it but then teachers would hear from friends that knew me and they'd say shit so it'd be like it'd be like, but I think art therapy is something I've been thinking about and when I read um, Hugh Van Koylenberg's book around like positivity and the med- like meditation mindfulness stuff and I think if they're bringing mindfulness and these things to kids in Australia, which is so important, like an art curriculum's weak there. Is there a link there with bringing in, combining those things and having like a, because art is very therapeutic and like art can be anything. Like I love hearing teachers say, oh, I'm not very good at art or drawing, so I can't really teach art. And I'm like, it's bullshit. Like you don't need to be good. Like, you know, my dad sucks at Pictionary, but he always wins. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't need to be a good drawer or a painter. Like, it's you have kid, you have a kid that just needs to unleash at school. Just give him like cups of paint, a canvas, make everything around it non-threatening. Let the kid throw paint at it. Like, that's art. So, I think there's definitely areas that I want to get into, and it's been a busy few weeks of my head and writing all these things down but I'm excited for and hopefully I can come across the right people and network with the right people to find um, that middle ground that you said whether it's workshops but more 
um, maybe more advanced or maybe different because you've got to think that, you know, we're pretty, you know, this the art and wine um, side of things has really taken off with Pinot locally and what those boys are doing. So there's got to be different markets and you don't want to step on toes. But I think going into schools and combining those themes could be interesting and it's lucky I've got a mailing list in my laptop site. <laughs> so we'll see, we'll see. And do you see a role for the work you're doing showcasing people, amazing pieces of art as a way of removing the, the stigma around aerosol art because there's some amazing murals, there's some amazing street art, yet a lot of people still do default to graffiti, tagging. Hard question for me because I don't think I can really represent I don't think I'm the right person to speak on behalf of graffiti artists because I, I don't call myself a graffiti artist. I, yes, I do. There's so many different ways you can interpret graffiti. But, yeah, I use spray cans. But if I represented the local graffiti or graffiti community, you know, I'll probably wake up to some messages tomorrow on Instagram. But doubt they'd listen to me at the moment. But I think it's so double standard too. So I think there's... I get annoyed because there's amazing artists locally and out there that are just, you know, they might, more often than not, they're trouble, troubled kids, but maybe not, they're just bored. They get a misinterpretation. They might come from dad's seven-figure salary, I don't know, and they're bored and they've got a can. So they, they go do it. You, you can't determine someone off holding a can on the train tracks or whatever, but I find it so double-standard that kids can grow up with graffiti cans and then realise they can paint portraits and murals and they become, you know, dope and they're, you know, they're, they're legends. But then a person on the opposite side who was good at painting fine art or drawing and then tries to pick up a can, respecting the art form, gets slated. Like, it happens to a lot of people. And so there's that double, there's that hypocrisy between it. So, and it's happened to me. I haven't taken it the right way and I've probably put too much negative energy into it, but... It, it affected me for a while because it was happening a lot with some locals. So I think I won't touch on that answer, but I will say that we need more public art. We need to... Penrith Council need to give more walls and legal walls and um, do more street art for local... Like, local graffiti artists. Like, you know, I was the only one. I was the only local Penrith artist out of a lot that applied for a street art festival last November where in the brief, one of the main points was local connection. Now, the artists I met were some of the ones that I've looked up to for years. That They're amazing people. They're amazing artists. I, I'm actually still kind of starstruck that I walk through Penrith and their murals are on our walls and then mine's around the corner from it. But I just think that there was more of an opportunity to bring in more like walls because I can't blame those ones that have been around for those times, the ones that felt disrespected when their work got painted over at the PCYC, the ones that have been grinding and trying for 12 years. I don't think they do themselves any favour when they go out at night and they paint these walls they shouldn't. But again, it's their expression. So I think there's a right way and a wrong way for them to do it. Um, but I do know there's a lot of local talent and... Hopefully, over the next 10 years, all the right um, pieces of the puzzle fall together and we see 10 or 12 artists around Penrith redoing walls every one or two years, talented local high school art products coming out. 
doing that. I mean, having a studio space and a creative space for seven or eight artists in Penrith in the future would be a dream of mine. You know, it would be awesome. So working with council more closely would be fantastic. I don't think it will happen for a few years once there's some personnel changes in there, just from a few of my experiences. But yeah, we'll see. But um, there's plenty of there's plenty of potential out here for sure. Do you have one of your own pieces that has meant the most to you? That again, that, that just always yes. True? Pat Silk has it, and he still hasn't hung it up. And what is it? <laughs> you probably won't listen, but I hope you do. Um, it was the first drawing I did after those first years on hiatus during teaching. It was that stipple piece. It was 77 hours of dots and small lines. And it was of Jürgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager, who I'd intended of giving it away to my dad. Um, and Pat used to froth over it all the time. And he was living in Melbourne at the time. When I started drawing, I forgot to mention this very quickly, I saw a friend who did this raw Sydney art expo thing at Sydney Uni, and I hit her up. I was like, Paige, firstly, I never knew you painted. That's cool. Second, what's this raw thing you're in? How do I get around it? And she sent me the link. I got accepted into the first show. I only had two drawings. <laughs> so I was like, shit. And Klopp was one of them, still not quite finished, but um, everyone stopped to look at it, asked me about it said oh wow what is it and I said it's a graphic pen it's all dots and they'd go up to it and we'd all have to go on stage at one stage the artists would come out there was like a fashion runway there was photographers painters I'm still close friends with three of the people I met that night two of us have gone on to make this a career Bruno South American sexiest bloke I've ever met like when he started talking even I shut up then he starts speaking to me and I'm like stop it and um, he's such an amazing guy living in Maroubra. He's, um, yeah, painting murals in Sydney. Um, we talk still quite a lot. And um, another friend, Holly, who's an amazing photographer, surf and beach and landscape photographer. And, um, yeah, we still talk, and that was a nice moment. And that was the piece I went up and presented. And then I gave it to Paddy for his 30th birthday. Two years ago now, far out. Um, so, yeah, and he's still got it. Is it the, the 77 hours that makes it the most special, do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, like it was a big piece. I think what was special is just remembering that that was the first piece that got me really thinking, wow, I didn't know I could draw like this. <laughs> Those stipple classes at uni turned out all right. And, um, yeah, but, yeah, the time was great, but then stepping back from it. But I think I. it's so funny because... For someone who's always been an overthinker, bit sensitive, like anxious and needing some type of approval from like either your mate or your, your partner or your dad or whatever and worrying a bit too much about what people can sometimes think and say. With my art, I think what's special about it is I don't give a shit. Like I care about it. But like if someone says, oh, that, that's sick and I think it's shit, like which is more times than not, but if someone was to say, I don't like that, I'd just go, cool. It's the only thing I do and have produced that I go, oh, cool. So when I did the Klopp one, like, I think it was seeing everyone's reactions after it and at that Royal Sydney show and then even people now that say, why don't you do more of this? Which is also happening as we speak with um, an online shop and prints coming and things. So... That um, I think the reaction from others is definitely what made me think, yeah, this is a special piece and if I didn't put that time into it, it wouldn't have looked like that because I don't spend that much time on them now. 
because if people asked me for one, <laughs> they'd be waiting. <laughs> they'd be waiting a very long time and paying an extraordinary amount, I think. So, but um, yeah, it's definitely a style that will define my work as well. The anxiety you touched on, and also the panic attacks you referenced earlier. What impact has have mental health challenges had on you over the years? Yeah, some pretty pretty big ones, really, like pretty confronting. Um, some experiences that I wish had never happened, some that, you know, I played a role in looking back. I was always pretty overexcited, overzealous, in your face, big personality, but it hid. It was a bit of a mask for, you know, the, the duck, on, duck on the water type of thing, but opposite to that. Because a lot of the time I didn't really like being around... I still don't like if I don't feel comfortable around people, or if I know because not not you don't get along with everyone. Like even guys, like guys are just as bitchy as women. Like we are, like far out. Like, but there's this real blokey bloke culture, and like, you know, I love my mates. I'm so lucky, and I'm so overwhelmed and grateful for how many different groups of mates that Kate and I have, and my oldest friends from school, and then you know, Paddy and the boys from the mountains or sport union stuff so it's over it's 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 amazing but then some days you just you're quiet you're sitting there having a scary you just you're not quiet for any reason you just roll off you're, you're in your own head and your mate will go what's wrong with you fuck what's wrong come on boy. bit of what, bit emotional today a bit bit down whatever they don't know what's going on so then that just annoys you more and you think okay well you know and then that's when you're in your early 20s and now to now, like the big shift in the last 10 years for guys actually going, hey, mate, what's going on? You're all good. Because like, I get it too. And then you think, shit, all right. So it never used to be that way. So when the panic order, the panic disorder started, it was just a few things. I think there was a combination of, you know, falling out with friends and close family members and probably too much alcohol. Um, and you're dumb when you're in your early 20s. But when that happened, it was very scary because I think I had three or four in the space of a fortnight and it could just be happening when you're sitting. It just, you know, you'd seize up. You, 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 you're thinking so much. It's like your engine can't cool down in your head. So that, that took its toll. And luckily I haven't had, you know, I, I did all the training and the brain training, the cognitive stuff for when it happens. I, I, I'd still get them. But I could be having one now and you wouldn't know it. Um, but I haven't had one for a long time. But I think, the, I think when that did happen and going and seeking professional help it was probably the best thing to happen because it was like well shit I had some issues underlying here that I never really actually knew how to properly deal with and let go of and there's still a lot but you know and I'm still working on those things because it's it doesn't just happen in one year or two years or overnight um and that's why like Kate's brilliant for that I've got some friends who really get it I've got a lot of mates that just don't get it. I know my mates that I can go and sit and have a beer with and know, well, they're never going to ask me or we're never going to talk about this. They're just closed off to it and that's fine. But um, you've got to have your structures around you. And for me, art is just great. Because, like, if I've got a job where I can, you know, sectionalise it kind of thing, section it off and think, okay, I'm not really feeling it today, but I think doing that part will really make me feel better because that just looks cool and kind of thing. So you can, um, yeah, compartmentalise type of thing with with your feelings and art combined. But then, um, yeah, it, it's not easy. And there's been, yeah, like I said, the 
the things with family and friends and experiences you go through and the, and the low points, like everyone has them, but when they're constant, similar, bad, you just, you never forget that stuff. And it's like you need to completely retrain your focus, your thoughts, not living inside your own head type of thing. And that's why things like sport, going for a run, having something on the side to what you do for you know, 75% of your week is so important. Going and seeking professional help at the start, how important was that for you? And is that the advice you would have for someone who might be going through something similar? Yeah, I think definitely. Like, I probably didn't do it... Like, it was professional help. I didn't do it very professionally for the first couple of times. I think the first few times I walked in there... I don't think I ever told Kate, but I think I walked in there and sat down walked out... I'd go back the week later, walk in, sit down, call call in, cancel, whatever. I had, had something on. It wasn't until I sat down and I had a male psychologist the first first um, time, the first sessions I did, and it was after the panic disorder, and it was fantastic. It was all breathing. It wasn't like you think you're going in there and you're sitting on the long leather chair with your hands crossed on your chest and they're writing notes or drawing boobs on their notepad and you don't realise. But... Uh, but but it was actually brilliant. It was a different, total different experience. I sat down on this comfy chair. I can still feel the chair. Bottles of water in a fridge next to you. He didn't ask you a few questions, but he just basically... It's like I knew he knew what he was doing because he sat there not speaking. So it's like he was just waiting for me. So I, And I don't need an introduction to talk. But then I kind of thought, well, no, I'm going to stand this guy off. Like I want him to be like, so Shannon, why are you here today? Because he had a mad accent. But no, it did help. And after the first first session, I came I came back to Kate and I said, "Wow!" And I and I had ten with him, and I will continue. I will. Um, I do want to do some more this year, and I will be. And I think that I've got friends out there now that last year, the heaviest stuff that I've ever been through. Like I've had some, I've had some shit things I've been through, but it's nowhere like everyone has their own problems like you might think to yourself oh my problems aren't that big but they are to you because people don't realize how much they live inside themselves all day like you might overthink and worry like i'm a, I'm a warrior i've gotten better but i still think oh shit maybe i shouldn't have said that to what's he yesterday <laughs> okay okay gives a shit you know like if you said that to him would you be no well there you go and then it's like oh okay so i was training you quite it's like you, you respond now through asking the right few questions. And then once you've answered them to yourself, you go, oh, yeah, and then you're on. And then there's the journal I've got now, um, the Resilience Project. Can't speak highly enough of the book and the work that they're doing. So all those little things are out there and available to people, even if you just need to stop and slow down for 10 minutes. Spotify, mindful playlist, chill out, hip-hop, jazz playlist, just... Switch, switch off, close your eyes, put your phone away and you hide it somewhere for 10 minutes. Like If you go to the shops, you don't need your phone. If it's around the corner for 10 minutes, leave your phone in your glove box. If you go to the gym, leave your phone in the glove box. If you're going for a walk around the park, except at night time, leave your phone at home. Think little things that you can do to just break that up. and It's just so important. I think, yeah, seeking help is it's the hardest part, but it's... Once you've done it, there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. You go to the doctors if you've got a flu, it's the same thing. So, Do you look back and reflect on 
what has really been an incredible decade or so when you think, yeah, where you were, early 20s, university, teaching, to where you've landed now. Do you stop and deliberately look back? Yeah, because I was wearing Ray-Bans when I was, in t- when I was 21. <laughs> I bet you had a pair as well. <laughs> I remember one night, I didn't have shoes to get in the Embassy nightclub, so I bought Ray-Bans from Kmart. <laughs> They went proper Ravens, but I bought them and I went, I went to Embassy, which I ended up working at. It's disgusting, but it's fantastic too. Yeah, it's been a pretty big decade. And to even think that like Kate and I are getting married in May, thank you listeners, and um, I just think like far out, like eight years we've nearly been together. And so she's been with me for most of the decade. When I was still at working at Lapo, we started talking. And so she's been with me through the start of my teaching, all through everything we've talked about. And she's the singular most important person, but it, it is also crazy to think that it's gone so quick yet so slow. And I think I'm not someone that sits down and probably like, I, I try to just be normal and humble and, and I think that I am, I don't know, I don't care, but I think that I'm someone who doesn't really sit there and focus on too much of the good. I think I'm too much still the other way, which I want to get better at. Like I'd probably sit like last week, I probably sat there and went, far out, could have done that one back in April a bit better. Oh damn, May was a bit slow. Thanks COVID. But then I don't go, wow, what a, what a year where I learned so much. Like, you know, my art might not be anywhere near technically and visually where I know it can get to because my painting is nowhere near as good as if I, did a colour drawing or a painting on a canvas right now. But that's why I know it will, because if I can do it there, I can transfer it. So I think I'm always looking... I'm Again, art is something that I don't dwell too much on. Like, in the... You know, I don't go, oh, yeah, that was awesome, sweet, sit on that. It's... All right, what's next? So... And do you believe in life, Shannon, that we find ourselves or that we create ourselves as people like do you think the path is laid out or that every decision we make gets you to your end point yeah i think the latter like i think there is a little bit of things like i don't believe in i don't believe in fate i believe in karma a bit because like it's i've seen karma personified i've been karma personified plenty of times but no i think um kind of like that advice where i gave to people not giving yourself time constraints or saying i'm going to be this by this if you do that you're always going to set yourself up to fail or be disappointed because shit happens. Like, you know, you know, I wanted to be a firefighter when I was young, but I don't think I would have had the stomach for it or the, the body for it at all, going off some of the calendars you see out there. But I think that if you... I genuinely believe that if you love what you do and you pursue the things that you're interested in, you'll end up getting to where you know you want to be and that's probably more important. Like, yeah, money is important. You've got to pay the bills. But, and you know, money does make everything click but if you just solely make it about that or you pressure yourself because, oh, you know, I've got to put food on the table or, you know, that job's paying 10 grand more a year than this one but, gee, I love that one more. Well, what's the sacrifice then? You're not going to notice $10,000 in a year. You know, you're going to... You know, drop that on a on a bar, or uh, you know, treat treat things which yeah you should do, but you won't notice it over the year. So where does it weigh up? And um, yeah, I, I think that setting goals and having having outlines of success, and yeah, saying you want to be that, that's fine. 
but let things along the way push you. Like, yeah, I wanted to be a teacher. I went and had to do an undergrad degree in the very field which now I love and I'm doing full-time just to get to that, to find out how shit the view was from up there. I'm going to climb back down a bit now. And then, like, you know, I never thought that... Kate was one of the biggest reasons I got back into art in general and became not a better person but wanting to be better. And I never thought I'd meet her. We went to the same high school together, didn't know each other. Grade below me, we'd never talked. We meet, you know, seven years after high school at my mate's backyard where I'm thinking, why are you even here? You're not friends with my friends. And then that was it. So, yeah, don't don't put too much pressure on yourself and plan for everything to be perfect because it won't happen. But work hard, remove yourself from things that will stop you from getting to where you want to be. Don't, you know, if you see roadblocks, do not even bother. Just focus on where you're heading. As I said, it's been an amazing, it was an amazing year and you've come back mentally refreshed after a good break. What do the next six months or so have in store for you? What, what are you most excited about? Painting tomorrow, implementing this style, which I think people are really going to like. Um, it's nothing too exciting, but it's just basically trying to incorporate my stipple drawings into my mural styles in segments. So if I'm drawing a face, I might break up the face and neck and shoulders a bit but having layers of circles and spirals behind them. So incorporating circles are very important. I could talk for an hour about why, and I could go rewind to the 2006 HSC art exam to talk about the circles, but I won't. But it's just, it'll look sick, and it's just something that happened organically for me drawing. And I had a few art mates just go paint like that from now on, draw that from now on, like why aren't you doing that already? Because if you do like, and I've had some amazing support too, like I've got a mate, Jesse, who has been, he's unbelievable. Jesse, you won't listen to this, but you'll, um, he lived in Quakers Hill. We started talking when I first started painting and he liked to feel my things on Instagram and started commenting and all, I've got so many friends on there that are good friends from this, but I've never met them face to face. But Jesse moved to Melbourne. He opened up a gallery just before COVID. I got to be, I got to have a piece down there and flew down there just for the weekend to meet him and met some amazing mates. And he has been such a great guy. Like, looks at all my work, calls me when he knew about the shit with, because the creative industry can be quite cutthroat with people. And he just said, nah, fuck them, fuck that. Like, you know, stick to this and you are going places. And, um, yeah, he's, he's amazing. So I'm really excited to push these things, but I want to stop being so negative at myself and if things aren't going right, to just focus on others a bit more. Sounds really cliche, but it's true. Like I just want, to, want my art to be a bit more happy and positive, myself in, in that sense, getting married. Um, great New South Wales honeymoon, thanks COVID. And um, may just keep painting. And if I, and if I'm not, if I'm having my slow periods, I'm in the studio, working on things. There'll be a website and online shop happening, um, and hopefully can just keep growing. And how do people check out your work? How do they jump online and see it? social media? What's the best? Yeah, platform? social media. So Instagram um, forward slash Shannon Boyd Art two ends O N the Irish way, the right way. And just Facebook, I think I'm Shannon Boyd Artist because Facebook wouldn't let me use the same name as Instagram. 
um, website coming soon. That'll just be shannonboyd.com.au. But if you want to go look at a nice black and white maintenance page, you can go and look at that now. Um, but apart from that, yeah, it's pretty much it. Shannon, thanks for such a, an open, honest and candid conversation, mate. Wishing you all the best. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by the Western Weekender. For more unique and inspiring stories from the Blue Mountains and Penrith region, check out other episodes of the Passion and Perspective podcast. You can also listen to the latest series from Sporting Chance Media, Adventure Shorts, where we chat with local guests from the world of the great outdoors and hear some of their most memorable adventures. Search for Adventure Shorts on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.